Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. And welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another midweek episode of the London is Blue podcast, Full crew back with us tonight. That is right. Nick, Dan, and Mike all here running it back. Uh, no iTunes reviews. Usually don't do that on the second episode because we covered them all yesterday, technically today. And a little bit of a surprise, Raphael joined us on Patreon. So a huge shout out to him. We will see you on the Discord servers talking about everything that is in this script tonight. We we have a lot to talk about, gentlemen. Uh, this is probably a little bit more unconventional of a part two, Dan. Normally, it's all about social media questions, but it's still season review, and there's a lot of things that we didn't even touch on in part one. That's true. And, you know, breaking news coming out. Bieber. Stop. Challenging Tom Cruise to a fight. We talked about this before we recorded and Brandon wanted to swerve around it, but we're not going to yeah. let it happen. <laughs> it's no the value. Off-season. No it's value. It's the offseason. There is nothing to talk about. This is just a strictly Bieber Cruise episode, and we're really <laughs> excited about it. Well, no, no. We're going we're to talk about Hazard leaving. We're going to talk about the Women's World Cup, where some of the Chelsea women are playing exceptional football. But before we get into that, in the zeitgeist in the moment today, Nicholas, 
Bieber versus Cruz. McGregor saying he would commentate it. He would host it. I, I got to pick Cruz. I, I think Biebs would get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, Cruz is going to win this. What I'm, what I'm really looking for, Mike, is I think uh, Conor McGregor playing the role of ref WWE style kicks the shit out of both of them at the end. <laughs> it's it's a really it's a big melee. I think that would be really entertaining. Yeah, no, I, I was gonna say um, the rules of the match have to be if someone doesn't get knocked out, then McGregor's knocking them both out <laughs> to really make them uh, fight their hardest. Brandon, your thoughts? All right, so <laughs> want to talk about that Bieber tattoo you have? Not <laughs> not even remotely close. But anyways, bringing it back to Chelsea. Uh, while the season is over, it is Chelsea, so there is still much, much to talk about. And it would be remiss of us to not kick it off with the Eden Hazard tribute. I can't say memorial. Dan's correct me on that because he's still here. So right out of the gates, guys, Eden Hazard departs Chelsea after seven seasons with the club, heading to the team we must not name in Madrid it's a deal that re- could return Chelsea up to about 120 to 130 million pounds with add-ons. But, Nick, it's only by 88 flat transfer. Um, we had gone on record many times this season saying nothing less than 100 million, but that's exactly what's happened. Good deal, bad deal. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they did the best they could with it. Um you know, we had Dan Levine on this show probably about a year ago. I think it was during one of our summer pods heading into this, into the eighteen nineteen season. And he said with a year left on his deal, you know, Chelsea would have been lucky to get anywhere from 50 to 75. So, you know, obviously his talent is, is worth 400, but his contract is, was a big piece of the negotiating tool for Real Madrid. And, I think at the end of the day, if we end up getting 120 or 130 million pounds, you know, with all the kind of extra fees added on, Dan, that that's a pretty okay return considering we bought him for 32 and he gave us, you know, likely most of his best years. So not, not a bad, uh, not a bad return. No, not at all. And I think it would be very easy to look at the price and be upset, but we were in a very poor negotiating position so it was either wait a year and get nothing or get somewhere in the range of 88 as a base to upwards to 130, 140, potentially million pounds for the transfer. So things like goal scores, um, you know, appearances, uh, you know, qualifications into cup finals, league trophies, all of those type of things are going to be some performance based incentives that will continue to add money into that so uh, i guess we are tertiary real madrid fans at least from a performance incentive basis for ed hazard for at least the next couple of years here mike uh, yeah i wish i could say that i want to be rooting for them i think this is kind of the old like high school girlfriend uh you want to be a good person and root for them but i think <clears throat> him leaving is going to be really tough um especially considering the amount of goals and the impact that he has on on the club um, to me, I think this would be a little bit easier to uh, pill to swallow if we didn't have uh, an impending ban in which we might just have 130 million pounds that we're not doing anything with and we're attempting to you know, find those goals from within the players that we currently have. So I think that's it's daunting. Um, you know, I do wish the best for him, but I, it's going to be 
it's going to be, re- I mean, how do you, you know, Brandon, how, how do you replace a player of his caliber? You don't. And that's a trick question. So Ed Nazar, in his own words, long post on Facebook, he put it on Instagram. I'm sure it's on all the social media platforms. And I'm also sure you all have read it and cried yourself to the bottom of it as I did. Uh, but being completely honest, it gave me the chills, like reading it. I felt nothing but just him being genuine, him being sincere, uh, really opened up to a lot of things, Dan, uh, about his time at the club. And I think that he kind of, he laid it out. He laid it all out on the table. Um, never regretted a moment for Chelsea. So I guess to you kind of in summation or in reaction to his letter, how did it, how did it affect you or, or what did you make of it? Yeah, really tough letter to watch through or read through as he, again, the culmination of this was happening over the past couple months to weeks as the news began to build and the potential climax of this transfer was going to occur at the end of the season. At the end of the Europa League final, we got the maybe it's time for a new challenge comment, but he has been nothing short of exemplary in the way that he's handled it. And I think ultimately we look at the way uh, some other Belgians have decided to leave Chelsea and not appear to training and force their way out to a similar name club. Then <laughs> uh, and, and Hazard did it in a really, really special way. Uh, the way he was very positive about just how thankful he was for the opportunity, how much he appreciates it. The fact that he's going to continue to watch Chelsea and monitor our results, Nick, it's everything you would expect a professional who understands the privilege they have to say. And I, I don't think he could have done it any better than, than what he did. Well, I think that's the point. The point is there's, you know, for a guy who's had his tenure at the club, there's a way to leave a club. And then there are, is the other way, which we uh, we don't need to get into um, very often. But, you know, the, the stark contrast between what Tebow did and what Eden did, uh, you know, is, is just there for everyone to see. And, you know, I, I just applaud him for, you know, what had to be a difficult situation for him personally to get through that, to give his all for the club, um, to have his best statistical season uh, in his last season with the club. He didn't you know, roll over and, and just not get hurt. Uh, he just did it the right way. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I think that is the, you know, the thing that I would, I would give the most kind of credence to. I think the other line from his, from his article, Mike, that I loved was one day I will be able to sit down over a beer and talk about or laugh with pride about my missed penalty that set up my header to win the league against palace or those goals against Tottenham, Arsenal or Liverpool. And, uh, that is, you know, I think what we're all going to remember him for. I mean, he was a match winner. He was a league winner. He scored some of the most important goals in the last decade for Chelsea Football Club. And uh, we we do uh, hope that we're able to, at some point, virtually have a beer with him to remember his legacy at the club. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's been a lot of talk. And, and I think this kind of cements it to me that this man was a legend for our club and probably Leicester as well. But... I think one of the things that really struck me is so often um, in today's world, you you just see some PR firm, you know, come up with a letter for people. And, and this, 
you know, this was Eden himself. He, he put the effort into actually writing a goodbye letter. And I think to me that that's the most touching thing to, sh- you know, it shows that he, how much he cared. Um, and man, it's my biggest regret is not being able to see him lift the champions league trophy, uh, as one of the six that he won with us. Um, and, you know, if I could do it all over again, that's the one thing I would love to see from his career with us, Brandon. Yeah. I tell you what, I'm just, uh, sad to see him go big time. I think this is a massive hole in the squad. Uh, it's a rough summer to lose your talisman as well. Potential new manager, potential transfer man, still a lot up in the air. And unfortunately, I've been talking about this, guys, for Ed Nazard leaving to be the first piece of the puzzle to to kind of be put in place. That is not, not a great way to start the summer. So, like I said, I'm just more upset than anything that we're losing our best player, I think, at Chelsea. And that's the hardest part, obviously. No ill feelings towards him. Uh, Courtois can go punch himself in the face for welcoming him and <laughs> being on Twitter gloating about it because he's an ass clown. Uh, I, that's I had my a pretty good tweet problem. about that. I missed it. I had it. a pretty good tweet. I'll turn yeah. on notifications, bro. The keeper for Real Madrid is spending time tweeting? No. No, I, I, I quote tweeted Tebow's tweet and said... He's acting like he's not going to be with the Madrid under 23s next year. Because <laughs> that's 100% where he's going to be. Zidane hates him. Like yeah. His own son was above him. Like He's not seeing the field next year. No way. I mean, I think push comes to shove. He will. It sounds like Navas is leaving, which makes it worse. I mean, maybe they go recruit someone in over him, but I hope he doesn't. It's just... It's hard to let someone like that rot in your bench. But if anyone can, it is Madrid, I will tell you that much. So, uh, anyways, Dan, give us a quick rundown of what we are going to lose when it comes to Ed Nazard and his time time uh, here at Chelsea. Okay, I will. But the first thing I do want to say is there was a nice quote from Marina who said, uh, all those with sadness, we say goodbye to Ed and we made it absolutely clear to him the cl- uh, him." The club wished him to stay. We respect the decision he has made to take on new challenge in a different country and follow his childhood dream of playing for Real Madrid. So uh, very, very odd that uh, Eden gets the nice farewell and uh, another player who left previously. No, it's didn't. not. So, no, it's not at all, actually. Uh, but yes, we are going to miss a whole lot about Eden Hazard, not just the jokes about eating hamburgers or uh, his uh, wonderful antics as he interviews his fellow players. He has lost none of the 50 matches in which he scored at Sanford Bridge. 42 wins, 8 draws, 0 losses, 110 goals, 85 in the Premier League alone. 139 goal involvements, 3rd all-time at Chelsea. Very close to 1,909 take-ons since 2012-2013, most in the league. 595 chances created since 2012-2013, most in the league. Scored these two title-winning goals in the league and had six major trophies in his time at the club. I don't know if it gets much better. You know, I think, Nick, there's only a couple other players who have better stat lines leaving Chelsea than Eden Hazard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those speak for it. You know, the numbers speak for itself. I think the one that kind of stood out to me was of his 110 goals, 85 are in the league. 
Um, so you could read that, you know, two ways. You could read it as you know, his league form was absolutely imperious, or you could read it as, you know, maybe he didn't have the best run in, in cup competitions, which, you know, I think would be a fair assessment. I mean, he certainly uh, played well in the final of the Europa League, but, um, you know, he's kind of been a yo-yo player in, in cup competitions. So the rest of it is absolutely incredible. I mean, we all know the stat that he was like 49% of her goal assist production this year i mean he's just absolutely insane so uh yeah we're gonna miss him mike (laughs) yeah i mean again and and we're not even considering the 54 assists he's had in the premier league as well so it's daunting i mean i think that him leaving the club is as it's it's incredibly hard already and then when you start looking at the real stats behind the impact of him um it's scary and i think um we're just gonna have to try and uh figure it out and move forward but um huge shoes that need to be filled overall it's gonna be a hell of a summer for us uh going into speaking of those Speaking of those players who need to fill the shoes, Brandon, why don't you take us through the top goal scorers at the club currently? Literally no need. It is a graveyard. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> I mean, wow. you got, uh, first he was no. putting together a memorial friend in his art, and now it's a graveyard of goal scorers. It, well, it is. I mean, the fact that Williams at the top of the list with 52 goals, I mean, he's been there you know, for eight seasons. Pedro is at 41. Jeez, he's only been there a handful. Uh, Marat at 24, that ship has sailed. Batshuayi at 19. All right, there's the cliff. It has now fallen off. We're down to sub-20 goal scorers. Uh, Batshuayi, who knows what his future is. Giroud will be around for another year, but he's only at 18. And then you're at defenders. Luis, Alonso, Moses, Aspie. Uh, just, it, guys, there's, there's nothing. The fact that Zuma has four and Iguain has five, I mean, what do you want me to make of that, guys? I, I, I Emerson's got one. Musanda, he's on here. Drinkwater, all at one. There's just not a lot going for us. Yeah, I, I would say that the one that surprised me was that uh, uh, Mishi, um, in his limited minutes with the club, has 19 goals and Giroud has 18. I, I don't even know how that's possible, but um, yeah. And the, the one that we would be looking to, you know, or the, the two that we'd be looking to to replace some of the goal production are out with Achilles injuries for, you know, the next nine months or ten months or whatever. So, I mean, the, the, fact, or the, the fact of the matter is the club need goal scorers, the club need assist makers, and you look at the list right now and it's, it's difficult to see how we replace this production dead. Yeah, I, well... Until you look at the fact that there was someone who's been on loan for a couple seasons, albeit it's in the championship, which is probably where someone like Gonzalo Higuain belongs right now. Um, Aston Villa on loan, 37 appearances, 25 goals for Tammy Abraham. As much as we have this list of players who have done not great at scoring goals, um, way to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, not great, Bob. Uh, not not great. There's a definitely at least some possibility of adding goals into the mix here within what we have out on loan currently, and that is something to be excited about. <sighs> Just gonna compose myself here as we continue through the murky waters that are where Chelsea will get goals next season. 
Uh, Big Nash on Discord throwing this at us though says, what do we do with the money we get for Eden? What's the most sensible way to spend it? Well, Big Nash, I'm gonna go ahead and stop you there because you said, what is the most sensible way to spend it? And that is not what's gonna happen. I just, Nick, I don't see us being fiscally responsible with this money. Um, what, you, what are you gonna do? You need center mids, you need attacking mids, you need outside forwards, you need a forward. There's a, there's a lot we need and the market is inflated, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the the problem that Chelsea have had, and we, we've been over this with, with Joe Tweeds and, you know, Dan Levine and Liam Toomey, all these guests, and the problem that Chelsea have had is that, you know, people kind of know when we're desperate. This would be one of those times for sure. And then Chelsea have always been a target for inflated prices anyway because they, you know, other teams know how much, how much money Roman has. So, uh, you know, a team like uh, Torino with Bellotti a couple of years ago will re-sign him the minute before the window opens and increase his uh, buyout to 86 million pounds for a guy who had one decent season. So it's those kind of things that are, are working against Chelsea. When you think about 100, 120 million pounds and the types of production, like the quality of player we need to get back into the, the team, Dan, uh, 120 million is not that much money, uh, surprisingly. Uh, so sensible probably is, you know, to me, I, I would guess that the club would have to go find someone for an inflated price and, and maybe pay a lot more than the 120 to get the production. Well, I think we're going to talk about this next, but you know, you have to be able to or be allowed to buy players to actually find good use for the money because. If we can't, then maybe a CD, maybe a money market, mutual fund. Um, there's let's a lot of ways. Let's yeah, go. Let's, let's get some interest growing on this money. Maybe we take that 120 million, turn it into 130, 140. And then when we're eventually allowed to buy players, we can buy someone at, with the money that we have. Because at this point, Brandon, who are we allowed to buy? Because I think it's nobody, at least at present. Sure isn't. So. As it stands, uh, Chelsea have filed an appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport against corrupt FIFA. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, Mike, it is a small detail here that Chelsea have not had the registration ban frozen yet, but that now lies with CAS, C-A-S, uh, to figure it out. And normally in legal proceedings... There is a precedent, and a precedent has already been established multiple times over for Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona, all shrunk from two transfer windows to one, but I'm sure Chelsea's will be deemed to be more egregious, and we will probably tack on an extra transfer window because of how much FIFA love us. Is, is that what you're reading as well? Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it always feels. And, you know, from conversations with our friend Jake Cohen, he makes it seem like if, um, you know, a single of the 20 plus allegations is true, that they will uphold the full two window ban, which is just egregious. Um, but again, we're looking at a bias in which um, these are all old um old cases and FIFA is acting as if we have violated them within recent times. So the whole thing is a bit of a kangaroo court in my opinion and it's not great um my only 
concern at this point is, you know, in a time in which we need as much much time as possible to negotiate some of these potential transfers, if we have even a smaller window as possible as people are holding us hostage, um, it's going to be really, really ugly uh, and difficult. And, you know, we can't even buy a Coutinho with the money that we got from Eden. So it's it's kind of dark clouds on the, the horizon, Nick. <laughs> no, nor should we buy a Coutinho. Oh, um, no, amen. Never, never. <laughs> um, so I, I will say this. I mean, like, I, I think the interesting question, and not like we have any control over this, but the interesting question to the group is, should we take the pain now or should we take the pain later? And the pain could be one window or two windows. doesn't really matter to me because it's about the same thing. Um, but do you take it now and just kind of forfeit, I think, any realistic chance of getting back into the Champions League next year? Or do you take it later and hope that you have done well enough in the summer to you know, position yourself for the long term? And like, I think my my stance on this, and we can go around the, the table here, my stance is that we take the ban later. So we, we freeze the win you know, we freeze the um, the ban right now and make sure that we can sign players this summer because I think we've just lost in one player, we've lost too much to recover from if we want any realistic chance of finishing top four. So I would go buy as many players as you can, you know, in this window position yourself for the future and then call it a day the the wild card though is dan we don't know who our manager is going to be which we'll get to next and you know it, it just becomes really difficult unless you trust petter to just pull all the right strings okay there's a lot to unpack there so uh you you gave me like five christmas presents at the same time and it's not scenarios. even december so scenarios wonderful <laughs> um First, to just tie back to Mike's thing, I don't necessarily know if I would call it a kangaroo court. Uh, I think, obviously, Chelsea just get to be the example case for a lot of different scenarios. And just, unjust, right, wrong, if we violated the policy, we should be held accountable to it. Regardless of whether or not other teams are or aren't, that's another whole conversation about the corruptness of FIFA or of global sport. But, you know, if we did it wrong, you should be entitled to do the time as it were for it, which may inquire or may require this type of ban. Now, with that said, I would love for us to sign a couple players this summer because you don't replace Eden Hazard with a single player. Whether that's Tim Abraham coming back, whether that's Christian Plissick, whether that's Calum hudson coming back healthy, whether that's Ruben coming back earlier in the season than we thought, we don't have enough top-tier talent coming in to replace Eden Hazard. And in that scenario, that is the biggest case for regression heading into next season. Why I would want to see us potentially pay inflated rates, potentially have to do a lot of quick business, which sometimes the club has not done in the best possibility moving forward. And even after someone like Luka Jovic, who potentially was going to be that rumored top tier striker candidate for us, got signed by Real Madrid, I would still want us to go in and sign the best available players to set us up for the next three, four, five seasons and potentially have to serve that ban next summer because Ed Hazard is too big of an individual loss, Brandon, for what comes next. I believe you call it winter. <laughs> winter is coming? Uh, so... I. 
I think that you need to sign people right now. I if I look at our our team, I don't care if it's Maurizio or if it's someone else to be named. I just don't see it in our lone army, and I don't see it in our existing squad. Like we we fell into third place. We're going into the Champions League next season. The league's not going to be any easier. Um, like we need this this team, regardless of Ed Nazard leaving or not, needed reinforcement, and it is just now even worse. And then coupled on top of that with the Ruben injury and the Callum Hudson Odoi injury, it is. I, I don't think our squad is in a good place, and I don't think our lone army is going to cut it. That's personally where I'm at. Olaena, who is maybe going to come back, he just finalized his deal to Torino. Sold. Yeah, sold yeah. 10 million. Oh, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, now what are we up to? 100 million? <laughs> you combine those two? We're sitting on 100 million, and. Uh, you know, we've done this before. We get off to a selling start and end up panic buying at the end of the window. It's already got me nervous. Well, I don't know. I, to me, I think that if we weren't if we weren't going to appeal the ban or we were concerned about it, then you don't you don't sell Eden. You just say, you know what, um, we're going to keep them and let them go for you know at the end of the next season and the money that we would have maybe got now. <clears throat> We will just consider if he can help us get, you know, quali- you know, Champions League qualification. That's fifty plus million next year, and just call it kind of a done deal. I, man, to they let made him a, go. They made an agreement, I, I, though. I would agree, and 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 you know, I think that to be honest, it's probably a better thing. Um, and you know, we, we know as as great of a player as Eden is, when he doesn't show up, um, there's no point in having him sit around. You know, if he, if he's not going to be able to play at his best, but. This is potentially, you know, catastrophic if we cannot bring in the high-level talent that we need to take on not only the Premier League but a Champions League campaign. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, All right. Well, let us know on social media what you think, especially with the registration ban. You know, if we can play cast for a moment, do you think, you know, Chelsea should take the ban now or try to get it delayed, frozen, so they can – sign players um we definitely need as many opinions and ideas on this because uh this is huge this is crucial but we're going to take a quick break when we get back we're going to be talking about marito sorry is he staying is he going um is petter maybe going to be the director of football and obviously we got to touch on the women in the world cup because they are tearing it up so again be right back hey brandon before we do that before we do that should we also just throw a shout out to our boy Jay Cohen? We talked about him a couple times, but he was getting the slings and arrows a little bit for saying that the transfer ban timeline to send the information to the quarter arbitration of sport had not passed as everyone was reporting that it was the date of the Europa League final. And he kept on saying, no, no, it's not. And yet tons of unfortunate individuals who have large followings online decided to continue to perpetrate that rumor and so dissent across the at least the social version of the chelsea sphere uh jake got a lot of crap for it and again hey guess what he was proven right so uh just obviously choose who you follow appropriately and make sure you're following well-verified sources like jake cohen when it comes to anything related to fifa related to court arbitration sport or sport law yeah without a doubt jake you demand. All right, quick break. 
All right, so a lot as of recording, I should always preface this when it comes to the summer. Nick, we have been burned way too many times before. <laughs> as of recording, Maurizio Sarri is still in the job at Chelsea, but there is so much smoke. You would think it's, well, just Maurizio Sarri, but it's coming from oh, Italy now. Well done. Well done. Uh, that know? was nice. So, he teed himself up. <laughs> Uh, look, at all signs point to Mauricio Sarri leaving, even the potential of Juventus waiving the additional 8 to $10 million, uh loan fee rec- that they are legally obligated to receive from Chelsea for Higuain. Um, talk about a steal. If we can unload Higuain's payment, Higuain, um, I don't know. Where do you kind of stand us? We really haven't touched on this too much, like sorry in, sorry out. That really hasn't been our vibe. But just with the situation overall, I guess, what do you kind of make of it? Uh, I, I think it's difficult, right? Because he's, he certainly has met the thresholds for staying the Chelsea manager next year. You know, if if that were to happen, you know, I, I, I have my own thoughts about that personally, but I would certainly understand it. I mean, he, I don't know, you know, what he could have done Otherwise, you know, in terms of results um, to, to stay in the job besides top four in a trophy. So I think that was, you know, kind of the threshold that he met that. Um, but if his heart's not here or his love for the English game isn't here, even though he said it out loud, I mean, his actions kind of say another thing, then, you know, let's just end the experiment now and bring someone in who, uh, who, wants to try and do a job under some really difficult circumstances. I mean, I think the thing that you kind of have to realize is that, and I would actually be on his side on this is none of the actions that Dan mentioned from uh, our court of arbitration of sport hearing that's coming up happened under sorry. He probably feels like he's getting jobbed or his feet taken out um, from underneath him in terms of being able to sign the quality talent that he'll need to play his style at Chelsea and I would certainly understand that frustration. Um, so, you know, if, if that's the case or he's homesick or whatever it is, then then we say a pleasant farewell and, and best of luck to him. But um, I, I think I'm leaning more that way than the other way. But, um, Mike, I guess, how do you feel about this? I, I, I'm with you. Um, to me, it's not it's not going to ever be easy to be a Chelsea manager, you know, and, and I kind of look at the situation as as the Diego Costa in which you see what the media does to Chelsea players at times or Mourinho. Um, and the difference to me between Sarri and Costa is that at least Costa had the the love of all the, all the supporters. And even that he still had a very miserable time with, you know, playing in England with all the crap that went on and. And to me, it was a tough season at times. And and if if Sarri's not a hundred percent committed, if he doesn't want to have to go through that gauntlet of the media and everything else, then he needs to leave. Uh, and I think he needs to leave on his own accord and just just you know kind of be honest with himself and say, look, I don't have another season like this in me, uh, regardless of you know how how it finishes. And I am on a hundred percent agreement. I don't want to watch another uh, Antonio Conte kind of fiasco in which somebody's wants to be there things happen and then they lose the love of what they're doing i would much rather see a manager walk away on their own terms and let somebody who really wants to be here dan um take over and just lead lead us in the fight that this next season is going to be 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that whether it's Enhazard leaving, whether it's Mauricio Sarri leaving, all of these individuals, some more talented than others, some harder to replace than others, they are not Chelsea. They are a part of Chelsea. They are an employee of Chelsea. They are a part of the tapestry or the history of Chelsea, but they are not Chelsea FC. And so the club and the infrastructure that we have set up will continue to survive as it has time and time again. You know, the most successful team in Liverpool's recent history has won one trophy over the last five seasons, yet Chelsea continue to win trophy after trophy every single season. And amidst the chaos, amidst the agony, the frustration, the challenges, the strife, the internal discord that might occur, we still find a way through the storm time and time again. And I think those that would question the allegiance of Roman Abramovich would question whether or not that he and the board are trying to do the right thing. Like the end result has been success, even if it has been messy or frustrating or challenging at times. And so for that reason alone, like if you don't want to be here and if you think that you would rather go someplace else, which I do not think Juventus for sorry is going to be easy at all, particularly with Inter. And I think Antonio Conte will absolutely win the league next season for Serie A go do it. And I would be more than happy to welcome a Frank Lampard in or whomever it is going to be, because at the end of the day, it's all about Chelsea, Brandon. Sure it is. I mean, that's what we're here about. It's just, you know, ramp up the cycle, you know, maybe I should, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Let's get excited. This is drama. This is Chelsea. This is nothing's easy. Nothing straightforward. We thrive under this chaos that is, I mean, shit, let's just go without a manager. Screw it. <laughs> we got we Keppa, man. We're good. Keppa. I mean, come on. They don't even do anything out there anyways. Just run around the touchline. Crazy, man. I mean, it does bring up a point, though. It's like, who would you guys, you know, if, if it does happen and does go to Juventus, which looks relatively likely at this point, which candidate do you guys want to come in and replace him? Because, I mean, I think that's the big question next is not only for the recruitment cycle that could potentially happen, but for the playing style and, you know, the best utilization of the talent that we have at the club right now, who's your pick? Dan, you first. Well, I, I think people are going to say it's too early. People are going to say that he hasn't enough experience. It's too early. He doesn't have enough yeah. experience. Yeah, fuck you, Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Lampard should come back as Chelsea manager. And yes, I get it, right? But I think here's what you do. You have to give a structure for success. You bring back Jody Morris as well. You find a way to get Steve Holland to come back in and you bring in Joe Edwards from the Youth Academy and you take this core, you get the full Brexit FC going at Chelsea FC and take the individuals who know our structure, who have the DNA of Chelsea, put them together to Voltron this thing through potentially what's going to be a really tough period with no transfers coming in. I think that's probably where I'm at. I know... I feel like you're going to go with a Nuno route, Nick. So I'm going to toss it up to you so you can talk about why you want some lovely counterattacking football back at Sanford Bridge. Boy, oh boy, do I. I, I love I love Nuno. I think he is absolutely fantastic manager. Not that Wolves would let him go. So it's just pure conjecture at this point. But uh, I just I was so impressed with what Wolves did this year and especially their identity and fight against the big six uh, you know i we we had 
a hell of a time. We got one point off of them in, in two matches. Um, they played Liverpool tough both times. They played, I mean, United was a cakewalk for them, obviously. But, um, you know, they really, they gave City fits at times. Like, th- this is a guy who I think would, he's not a, you know, formation-dependent guy. He seems relatively fle- flexible. He seems like a really good dude that, that uh, our players and fans could get behind. And I think the big point about this, Mike, for me, is that it gives Frank some time whether it's a season or two or three, however long, to really get his sea legs underneath him and make sure that when he comes back to the club, that it is that he's as prepared as a manager as he could be. Yeah. Well, and if, if we want to talk about setting Frank up for success, you know, taking away 50% of his goal scoring and um, not potentially having anyone to replace it, that's not setting him up for success. So um, while I think the supporters might be more lenient on Frank on what might be a really rough season next year, um, I I don't want to see I don't want to see him have to go through um, that experience if if we can't come up with you know a bet you know if we can't lift the ban if we can't actually have good players to bring in. Um, I, I get so so here's the thing I would ask so if the the worst timeline comes true, which is we lost and has our check. Marisa sorry leaves check. And now we aren't allowed to sign any players check. So you now have to cobble together a squad. Would there ever be a moment where there'd be more leniency from the board or from supporters about the patience that would be required? Because I think one thing that we tend to be short on as fans or supporters is patience. Because we have great players, we have a great manager, and we have a great setup. But if we know that the deck is stacked against us heading into the season in a way that we weren't anticipating, wouldn't that give Frank, who managed to take a side that actually got them to outperform their expected goals, was able to bring them into the champions uh, championship final uh, for the playoffs, and was very, very short of bringing them through to promotion in his first year as a manager, like... Again, much like we're doing with Pulisic, like you're you're banking on potentially, you know, the potential of what Frank could bring in. Is there potentially a better circumstance other than like he goes and wins the championship and gets the team promoted? Like I don't uh, think there's well, any better. I don't. Wait, wait, I don't think. Look, you know, Frank is. Yeah, people be more lenient, but you also have to ask yourself: Would you rather see a Chelsea legend get utterly destroyed? Um, in his attempt to coach and manage the team. And, you know, there are no playoffs in the Premier League, Dan. So Frank finished sixth, and he did a great job in the the playoffs themselves. But six isn't good enough, and that's the championship. So I think, you know, yes, from an overall perspective, the, the supporters might be more easygoing on it. But I think that if we're going to do something, then you just – if it's going to be a sacrificial season, then you hire an interim manager or something to say we're preparing for the future – but we don't want to, you know, sacrifice, you know, a club legend, throw him to the wolves. That will be this season if there is no, um, de- you know, Nick, no uh, transfer ability. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, Dan, I I agree with you hypothetically that that could work. Uh, but I've seen Chelsea fans over the last six, seven years turn on everybody. Um, so I don't. I don't think it's with you know out of the realm of possibility that they would also turn on Frank, and that would be a nightmare for the club, honestly, and be a nightmare for having any chance of JT coming back at some point. It would be a nightmare for 
future managerial hires. I mean, th- this is it's a legit possibility. And I'm not saying that our show or our listeners would turn on Frank. I'm saying all of the, you know, incredible amount of, you know, morons who have been out there on Twitter this year and a lot of season ticket holders, to be fair. I mean, you have to think about, you know, the atmosphere inside the bridge at times this season. Like this was not a pleasant experience for a lot of, uh, of fans and or the manager. And I get it. The manager's personality was not uh, conducive to a positive atmosphere at times in uh, this season, but also, you know, the results are what really matters. Brandon, I, I don't, I legitimately don't know if, if we have any chance of, you know, if the band stays in kind of all the stuff that we've been talking about, I don't know if Frank has any, like more than a 5% chance of making top four next year. Well, I mean, look what happened to Real Madrid when they lost Ronaldo, right? I mean, they went through three managers. I mean, shit, they, they just fell apart and their team is, has more quality than our team. So I actually think that's a pretty comparable example. And so if a club with much better resources, no transfer ban, (laughs) a less competitive league, they struggle that much, we're in trouble. Like that's the way I look at it. I look, I think Frank is going to be an immense manager for us one day. I just don't think this is the time. I understand the free pass and things like that, but kind of set himself up for failure. You know, there's things he has to learn on a level where the 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 risks are not nearly as great as they're with Chelsea. You know, Derby making the championship playoffs was all bonus, right? They they that was never in the plans. You know, missing out on the top four, like there's a difference between chasing something and like avoiding falling out of the top four and that's just a tougher tougher mind game tougher mental battle and i just don't want to put frank through that so early that's just my personal opinion so dan i don't like you and that's personal (laughs) no i'm kidding i promise i won't go after anyone on twitter like that that's not how we roll but to me you know rise against dan dormer it's coming i'm waiting for a brandon's (laughs) 90 second video coming at you for years uh what do you i mean (laughs) Sometimes you see mid-table teams, uh, you know, you pick a manager from there. A lot of times in the top six, they look more kind of across the continent of Europe. I don't know, you know, per se. It's it's one of those things where I don't want to get involved because I'm not sitting here scouting managers. I just know that, you know, losing Eden and Sari in, in one summer, it's a lot of rebuilding and starting over to have to do uh, and I think that there's only one man to do it. Big Pete Petrchek. Yeah. If there's anyone that I would love to see come back to the club, it is this man. Obviously, at the time of recording, not official, Mike. It is not official that he might be coming back to the club. That's pretty much confirmed. Now, will he be sporting director or a director of football? Marco, Gate17 on Twitter, seems to think so. You know, to me, regardless of what you want to call it, you know, we know that Roman runs the club in a certain way that he, he you know, he trusts people in, in certain areas. So if it's a director of football or whatever it is, I think that if we're talking about looking at uh, the club from the inside and bringing in 
core players that have been there, that have won everything for the club, that understand who we are and are there to lend their football genius to help recruiting and other things, I don't think you can go wrong. Um, will he have all the control in the world? Probably not, no. But I would – how often do we have people questioning what the board is doing and everything else? I think that if we continue to build uh, a core with players that we know and that we trust or former players – um, I think this is this is a very encouraging sign to me, um, especially in what might be kind of a dark summer. So, Nick, you know, overall, I'm I'm actually very happy with this. No, oh, I mean, yeah, I I think a lot of us had like pinned Balak in into this role for years, but uh, Petrček is uh, just as respected. I mean, has a brilliant mind. You know, I, I think. Just you, you know, Marco says he's universally respected, and I, I can't disagree with that. It, like, it just makes a lot of sense. Now, like, it's his first job not being a player in football, so he's gonna have to learn on the job too. We're gonna, there's gonna have to be some patience extended to him, and I think uh, our boy uh, Nazar Kinsella uh, on, on you know for Gold.com said that he'll be playing an Emanalo esque role, but maybe without as much like true power to sign players. So I just kind of keep that in mind that, you know, the power structure of the club, Dan is, is about the same as it's always been, but to have his voice in the room, to have his ability to identify talent in the room has to make a huge difference. Doesn't it? Yeah. And I think there's a, there's two things I would want to say about this. One is that Petrocek joins a group of individuals like, um, at Gladbach at, um, Borussia Dortmund at Bayern Munich at Barcelona, where they have migrated players from a playing career into a sporting director or technical director role. So it's not uncommon. And I think we have to think about what the extent of his responsibilities are going to be. And hopefully that gets laid out as he receives this appointment. But I guess I would pose a question back because we just went on and gushed about Petrček, who's not done this role previously at a top club, and we don't know what the extent of his job and responsibilities are going to be. And maybe we could talk about what the difference or why we're excited specifically about Petr in this role versus Frank as being a manager at Chelsea, because they're both two former players for Chelsea, and one at least has a year of experience in the job we've potentially been hiring him for versus zero in the job that we're hiring him for. I think you know, I'm not. I don't want to be biased here. But no, no. I, I know you're, you're a big Pete fan, but like goalkeepers are just way higher <laughs> oh, IQ. Geez. Oh god, read the game better, understand <sighs> the team's philosophy and style. I mean, you're kind of silly not to. If we're it's being bad honest, I've, I've been. I made Brandon the most cringeworthy person on this show. Hey, I somehow did. That. I actually did it with Vandersar. <laughs> And that's working out all right. So it's not like this is an isolated case. We've got many instances. Uh, think of Oliver Kahn, a very well-tempered demeanor person. It's a joke. Gosh, you guys are the worst. Anyways, Marco Marco tweeted, Fantastic news. Petr Cech is to be Chelsea's new sporting director. Very few players in the modern game command the degree of universal respect that Petr does. A well-connected, consummate professional who knows football inside and out 
what an asset hashtag CFC. Uh, what is the clip where you know whatever game he's in, where Petr Cech walks through his contract negotiation, he's got his helmet on, and now everyone wants him to do that as he signs his yeah. <laughs> potential contract to Chelsea again. Um, I don't know, just just weird times on the internet. But I again, it just you know. All BS aside, I'm super excited to have Big Pete back at the club. He's a huge reason I even came to Chelsea. And uh, I really, really hope uh, that he has a, a, a prominent role, I would say. But uh, I want to go ahead and push through because I want to get to this last topic, get some time. Uh, guys, girls, men and women of the pod, the Women's World Cup is well underway. Uh, massively biased crew of U.S. women's national team fans here but also massively biased towards our Chelsea women's players. Now, Dan, look at this this graphic that Chelsea FC women got to put out. 11 players from six different nations are represented by Chelsea FC. And I believe they even just signed another Norwegian that is also starting and playing the World Cup. So that can go up to 12 players. That's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, you know too many to tag in the tweet photo. So that's uh, that's a pretty embarrassment of riches and tells you exactly you know there, there's more than just Fran Kirby playing at the Women's World Cup. You know we have a ton of brilliant players, some who will unfortunately suffer heartbreak, uh, much like Aaron Cuthbert did when Scotland lost the other day to England, and some who will enjoy. Uh, accolades and a little bit more of a positive happy ending and again as Brandon said we definitely want the U.S. women's team to win but we also uh, as secondary benchmarks Nick would hope that all of the Chelsea women players would do well for their respective countries as long as it doesn't mean the U.S. women's team loses yeah of course I mean you, you look at Allie Riley who's been on the podcast she's New Zealand's captain uh, you know, you mentioned Frank Kirby, you mentioned your uh, G, uh, who unfortunately uh, saw the worst end of France the other day in, Oof, in the World yeah. Cup opener. Uh, you know, Karen Carney, who is a, a sub for England. I mean, down the line, Millie Bright, who I think was our favorite player to, to watch in person, uh, started in, in the back line for England the other day. There, there's a lot of really good players uh, in this World Cup. We encourage everyone to watch this World Cup, Mike, because uh, not only is it important to um, kind of identify and, and root for these these Chelsea women, but I think it's just important to support with our eyeballs and and hopefully that means with advertiser dollars to the women's game yeah a hundred percent i mean especially when you consider the 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 wage gap that exists um and you know speaking as americans you know the only the the only good world cup football we've watched in a long time has come from from this team that's playing in france um and unfortunately not the men's team so to me uh, I love a World Cup. I don't care who's playing. Um, I'm super excited. I am a little daunted. Uh, I think France will um, crush all comers, but I still have hope that we can pull out another miracle. Um, But, yeah, I mean, come on. It's summertime, and it's a World Cup. There's nothing really better, Brandon, than, you know, being able to take part in the group stages of World Cups. I genuinely love it. I was texting with my coworkers uh, who are new to soccer, telling them, because they all have daughters, turn it on, watch it, it's amazing. Uh, but I was excited. like I was counting down to 2 o'clock opening kickoff. Um, and, you know, with the Women's World Cup being honest, I've, I've never had that excitement. It's just, 
you know, the the buzz around this is that this is a, a watershed moment for women's football. There's more eyes on it than ever. There's more money in it than ever. And I think that, you know, I felt excited about this to go watch. And I know our U.S. women's national team. And then me being able to watch it with Morgan and we were watching Norway play and you know, my girlfriend is of Norwegian descent and talking about how Mara Mjeld is out there and, and you know, Thoris daughter and, and there's many Chelsea players littered throughout this World Cup. Uh, it's a ton of fun. And obviously we got to go see the Chelsea women play on our last trip to London and they are legit. So it's just fun to kind of follow Chelsea in another avenue in another vein it just gives us more to enjoy and, and love about the club so it does i'm like honestly that one of the ways mike was mentioning about the, the wage gap one of the ways to close that wage gap is to get more eyeballs and more sponsors into the game i mean obviously you would hope that there's pay equity across the board and and that's fine to say um and and what we believe but i think the the real difference brandon in between the men's world cup and the women's world cup is all of the corporate dollars and all the eyeballs. And so if you start to even those things out, then, you know, this should be a really, really, really good tournament um, for, for women's football and hopefully begins to, to close the gap a little bit more. So look two two real good stats though, just from a viewership perspective. So on uh, BBC sport, 6.1 million people watched the Lionesses take on the Scotland national team, which was breaking the previous record by more than 2 million. And it had Ooh. a 38% audience share. Then on the opening night in France, uh, record 9.83 million viewers watched the French women's team um, absolutely Mall. demolish their competition for South nothing. Korea. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, it was a 44.3% share of available uh, audience and actually peaked at close to 11 million viewers, um, actually getting very close. I think actually maybe just shading the Champions League final. So uh, this is not a flash in the pan. This is a rise. And again, to what Nick said, the best way to challenge the wage gap and to improve equality is to put eyes where they belong and thankfully this football is amazing to watch from a tactical element um in in many different ways so uh major credit to all the women who are out there in the women's world cup this year kind of pisses you off that espn put it on espn3 all the matches today that uh, i wish they would support it a little bit better here in the states but you know overall good things right more battles more fights it will continue uh but let's go ahead and wrap this up with four player updates uh nick the first one i'll give you the double because they're both about achilles uh what is going on with ruben and callum well both are in in recovery um and uh nazar kinsla again our, our buddy with gold.com Actually, I tweeted out a photo today of Callum, who was walking without a uh, without crutches or, or a cane today. So it looks like he has the big boot on, which is good news. Um, so hopefully him and Ruben are both uh, on the up and up and are taking their time recovering properly. Uh, but uh, he also reported that Callum is now close to renewing his deal at Chelsea after um, uh, contract negotiations. 
essentially saying it'd be a five-year deal, about a hundred thousand or a little bit more per week. So he's getting a huge pay rise, and uh, and certainly deserves that. Dan uh, looks like Ruben's uh, contract talks could open up right after that as well. So getting both of those two locked up to long-term deals would be outstanding. Yeah, and good good for the club to show the appropriate investment in these players. I think the one caveat would be is how well do they come back from injury and i think that's the only concern any of us would have but hopefully it is quick hopefully they take to the treatment and they are back healthy on the pitch ready to contribute after signing some uh, longer term deals that see them at chelsea for the foreseeable future absolutely uh all right next one mike unfortunately a sad update on reese james but not as bad as we thought yeah, you know, so as many people know, he uh, there was speculation that he broke his ankle um, in the, the under-20s England's game against um, down in Chile. Um, it seems like he has not broken it, but learned uh, basically that um, he has heavy, a heavy sprain and ligament issues. As somebody who had a horrific uh, ankle issues with ligaments i almost would rather have seen him break it because typically the bones grow back stronger and ligaments just remain a little bit loose unless you actually have surgery so um i don't know i wish him very well in his recovery and i hope it's not as bad um as things have been for other people but overall um another young talent that we've lost to injury which is you know disappointing especially with the hope that maybe he might have been coming into this upcoming season uh to steal dave's spot wow you're just gonna go and say it man mike's throwing fire put on the pressure all right well well yeah uh dan wrap this one up bakayoko is coming back well, AC Milan decided they didn't necessarily want him or need him or could afford him. I mean, uh, he was only their man of the match a dozen times this season. Pfft. Yeah, that might have been fan voted, but uh, yeah, well, still counts. It's whatever. Um, anyway, his agent says that uh, he will return to Chelsea and that Chelsea's the top priority because there's Champions League football and he wants sustainability or stability. And ultimately, uh, you know, I guess at this point, you know, we kind of need some midfielders, especially if Kovacic is leaving, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is injured. So everyone's going to get a fair shake, especially if we can't sign players. And Bakayoko uh, looks to have improved a little bit after his time away, and hopefully that helps him come back healthy, fit, and ready to contribute. And if he does, that is more than fine by me because we need a few more midfielders. Yeah, I mean, as long as he comes back with the right attitude, you know, like I think that's kind of where he, you know, might have lost some some fans um, during his first year at the club. I mean, he kind of had a rough one. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, like Dan said, it's a midfield midfielder that only costs us wages. And if he can get back to anything like the Monaco form that he showed a few years ago, then, uh, yeah, we, we need all the help we can get in the midfield right now. So. Uh, Brandon, let's let's bring him back and see what he can do. Hey, you know what? He's coming back in a good moment, in a good mindset. He had a good season in, in Italy um, by all by all accounts. So, I mean, it's better than you know a lot of these guys that come back after not playing a lot of minutes, not having much success. But 
Um, I think overall, I know they missed out on Champions League, but it, it was it was a good experience for him. So he seems to be in good form. Um, and did I say that he's still only 24? Is that real? No, that's nuts. Uh, so, and look, it's good for Chelsea. He has a lot to offer. So uh, we'll have to see how it goes. But anyways, I think that's going to wrap it, guys. Uh, we don't need back-to-back hour 30 episodes. We'll keep it tight this time. We'll keep it clean just over an hour. But Dan, Nick, Mike, guys, thank you for hanging out on this Monday night late. We'll get this pod turned on for everyone out there. Hope you all are enjoying it. Uh, shoot us an email. Hit us up on social media. Uh, talk to us on Discord. Love chatting with everyone. There's a lot to talk about. Season's over, but there's still a lot going on. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.